Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as we are streaming live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine on Thursday night, September 12th, 2019. On this episode, we recap the Chicago White Sox series against the Kansas City Royals. Despite having better talent, the White Sox lost two out of three against Kansas City, and they lost the season series 10 games to nine. We'll discuss what what went wrong over the last three games between the White Sox and Royals, plus take a look at the upcoming nine-game road trip The last of 2019 as the Chicago White Sox go on to visit Seattle, Minnesota, and Detroit. How many games should we expect the White Sox to win? Well, we'll play over-under later in the program. But first, the White Sox losing the series means the team's record is 64-82, and which clinches a seventh straight losing season for the White Sox. The second longest consecutive losing streak in franchise history, tied with the 1944-1950 White Sox and still behind the dreadful 1927-1935 squad that had nine straight losing seasons. Joining me to discuss is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We were expecting a seventh straight losing season out of the White Sox in 2019. But at the moment, I'm not confident to say that with the current makeup of the team, that if the White Sox don't make any moves in the offseason, they're still not going to be good enough to snap the losing streak next season. Oh, I think that's safe to say. When you look at the caps on the roster and the 
historically awful production from right field and the DH issues and everything of that sort. You know, a few holes in the rotation might be solved by players coming back from injury, but otherwise, yeah, it's, uh, if anything, if the Luis Robert Nick Magical learning curves are anything like the Eloy Jimenez learning curve and the Lucas Gilito and Yohan Makata ones, then yeah, it's going to be at least probably a year and a half back to an above 500 record with the talent they have on hand. And, and maybe that's even on the sooner side. They are going to need an injection of talent from the outside and this should be the off season to actually get serious about it. Well, last last off season should have been the, the off season to get serious about it, but this one, yeah, they, they really can't afford to sit this one out. Yeah, since the All Star break, there are two really eye opening performances, not in a good way. So since July twelfth, which was the first game after the All Star break, James McCann is hitting two fifteen with a two sixty six on base percentage. And slugging 395 with a 33% strikeout rate and a 4% walk rate. And his weighted runs cradle plus is 73. So James McCann has been 27% worse than league average since the All-Star break. Those numbers are what we were expecting from James McCann because those are very similar numbers uh, to how poorly he hit with the Detroit Tigers before signing on with the White Sox and, of course, before his all-star first half that he had. And then there's Lurie Garcia. Lurie Garcia is hitting 251 with a 276 on base percentage and slugging 347. And his strikeout rate is 25% with a 3% walk rate. And his weighted runs cradle plus is 64. So that's the bad news. And I think for a lot of us that follow the White Sox, we penciled in James McCann and Lurie Garcia being on the White Sox roster next year. Uh, But I'm a bit afraid, Jim, to say that, you know, these two players should be starters for the 2020 squad. And again, I know James McCann has a great working relationship with Lucas Giolito, and he was an all-star in 2019. But these numbers, especially for McCann, make me wonder if he is turned back to Detroit Tigers catcher James McCann. And he performed so poorly, Jim, for the Tigers that they cut him without even going through arbitration. Yeah, that's why I've been increasingly beating the Osmani Grandal drum. Uh, I don't know if the White Sox yeah. are going to be doing that, but I've been on that for a little bit now as as the offseason draws closer. And I think I'm going to keep doing that because, uh, you know, with, with McCann, I started thinking about it as McCann came out of the second half slumping and, and the all-star regression started kicking in. And that was to be expected. And then he had a little bit of a bounce back. And, and so you're thinking, okay, that's maybe he's found some ground because his last year at the Tigers was, I think, affected by the that the family issue he had with his, uh, with, with the newborn. So it was just, uh, mm. you know, that was a little bit tricky and, and, and a little bit hard to account for. And, and I can see that taking a toll on his numbers and, and him returning more to his tigers form from 2017 rather than 2018. So I thought, okay, you know, he'll, he'll bounce back to maybe a little bit below league average, but maybe average for a catcher. Um, but yeah, this, the second wave now has me more on the grand doll, uh, on on the Grandal bandwagon, just because uh, left-handed bat, the 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 receiving ability, um, and also when you see how well the Brewers are playing despite all the injuries they've had, I, I when when the when the Brewers signed him, there was a little bit of a um, negative reputation he had when it came to handling pitchers, and it was hard to tell whether that was because uh, you know that the 
Dodgers just had two good defensive catchers to handle and, and they preferred the other one. Or if that was a little bit of uh, trying to sandbag uh, Grandal a little bit on the open market and teams trying to knock down his number and, and, and that coming up. But I remember you know hearing that and thinking, oh, you know, it's worth filing away if the White Sox aren't interested in him this year. File it away and see, you know, just do the Brewers pitch poorly with him or does, you know, is it just going to be, uh, you know, part of the reason why he's, you know, keeping the Brewers from, you know, being a contenders in the AL Central. And when you see how much they're overperforming with the people they're missing, it's like he's not getting in the way at the very least. So uh, when you look at the season he's having, the workload he's having, you know, I guess the workload might make me a bit nervous, but McCann's workload, I thought also might be a problem. Um, when it comes to McCann, like, yeah, I thought, let's see what he looks like when he only has to catch 80 games a year versus 110, 120. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with the way the catcher situation worked out with the White Sox, he had to be pushed into 110 plus range. But maybe you can get a working, you know, balance between the two of those uh, players, you know, the righty McCann, the lefty Grandall, and, and, you know, really have a an above average catching combination, both offensively and then with Grandall's receiving work. Uh, maybe actually have an average to above average uh, defensive tandem as well. Yeah, Grandel has a mutual option for 2020 with the Milwaukee Brewers. So he has to opt in and the Brewers have to opt in. That mutual option is $16 million. Now there is a $2.25 million buyout. So if the Brewers say, no thanks, Yasmani, we're going to move on. Uh, Yasmani still gets $2.25 million from the Milwaukee Brewers and he becomes a free agent. If he's in the open market again, Jim, do you think he could do better than $16 million? Because that's what's going to be weighing his decision whether or not he decides to opt in for 2020 with Milwaukee. Milwaukee is, can I do better than $16 million? And do you think the White Sox would be willing to spend more than $16 million on a catcher? Well, to answer your first question, that's about the qualifying offer. And he's already, been, yeah, I think part of the reason he struggled on the market last year is we, he turned down the qualifying offer. He can't do that this year. They can't offer him the qualifying offer. So if he thinks he can do better than that this year, and I think he can, yeah, I think he can do you know, probably three years at that number, you know, $16 million, maybe maybe three for 50 uh, maybe 45 to 50 if you're looking at years taking a little bit of the annual value out. I think you can get that. So seems like he should pick a place he wants to play and, and, and camp out for a few years. So I, I, I would say that uh, when it comes to mutual options, mutual options really seem like uh, more of a case to tack on some money at the back end. Like I know Dayton Moore with Kansas City is famous for mutual options and it's just another way to defer some money. You know, it, it's they're maybe agreed to, I don't know what the number is, but I would say less than 10% of the time, just more of a way to shift money around and, and throw some money on the back end of it for accounting purposes. So so to answer that question, I think he'll be on the open market. Will the White Sox want to pay for it? I mean, they have no excuse. Like if, you know, I guess the J.D. Martinez rumor came up or it's possible that he's, uh, you know, he's a possible candidate and if they like J.D. Martinez and they don't want to confine themselves to a left-handed outfielder, they're going to need a left-handed power bat from somewhere. So if uh, they need a catcher and they need a good receiver who can help out the pitching staff and they can use uh, that kind of power, uh, it seems like it would make all the sense in the world to throw money at him because they're really paying nobody else. I actually really like the idea. I like that rumor of J.D. Martinez opting out and the White Sox going hard after Martinez. But so for Martinez, he's got $62.5 million uh, remaining on his deal with the Boston Red Sox over the next three years. It really sounds like Boston's hoping that he opts out as the Red Sox try to get underneath the luxury tax threshold. 
uh, as right now uh, they would be suffering the highest penalty. So the Red Sox may be one of those teams this upcoming offseason that looks to shed payroll after they fired Dave Dombrowski, who uh, I thought he was doing his job well. He helped Boston win another World Series title, Jim, and it figured that Boston was in a win-now mode, and he made win-now plays as general manager and was able to sign Chris Sale to an extension and also Xander Bogarts to a, a contract extension. It seemed that Boston was in pretty good shape and maybe this wasn't their year because of injuries. But if Martinez decides to opt out and, you know, if the White Sox, again, the White Sox are going to be coming into this offseason with like a $23 million payroll, the lowest in Major League Baseball. You throw $25 million at J.D. Martinez and you throw 18 or $19 million at Yasmani Grandel. You know, that's $43, $44 million that's committed to two players. That's a lot of money for the White Sox. I'm pretty sure that will break some records. I think Jake Peavy. Was Jake Peavy the highest paid player in a single season for the White Sox, Jim? Mm. At like $18 million? Yeah. Something like that. I, I'm trying to think of a Brayu factor into that all. And the Dinks was there? Yeah, maybe Peavy. Yeah, I think, yeah, that could be the case. Okay, so there you go. Uh Something for those that are listening to hit us up if you know the answer to that question. I'm guessing it's Jake Peavy. But regardless, I think the point is is that the White Sox can add those two veterans and they'll still be hovering around 65 to $70 million. But I think we need to bring these points up even with 16 games remaining because while I bring out the bad, McCann has not been good. You do not want Lurie Garcia to be your starting right fielder next year mm-hmm. uh, after bringing up his slash line. as he's, he's a super utility player. He's still useful. You want him on your 25-man roster. You do not want him starting. Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, and Yohan Makata since the All-Star break have been performing very well. Tim Anderson has 142 weighted runs created plus since the All-Star break. And he's hitting 357 with a 374 on base percentage and he's slugging 542. That is a crazy pace that he's on. Jose Abreu seems to be right back into a sustainable slash line since the All-Star break. A 125 weighted runs created plus. Hitting 294 with a 355 on base percentage and slugging 507. And Yoan Mikata, it's a bit of a dip in the second half for him, but I think these numbers are also sustainable for him at a 120 weighted runs created plus, hitting 279 with a 342 on base percentage and slugging 493. And Aloy Jimenez has been hitting better in the last month uh, as he starts to make adjustments to the league. And I thought that he had a good series at the plate for the White Sox, hitting his first career grand slam uh, and also adding another three run shot. And he's starting to drive in some runs for the White Sox. But despite these four hitters performing well, Jim, the White Sox have lost 12 of their last 16 games. Mm -hmm. And it's because after Jimenez, you couldn't go walk the dog you can go eat dinner, you know, exercise, go for a run. Because the second half of the lineup, it's tough to watch. And they are not productive. And they're not really contributing much. So right now watching the White Sox, it's what can Anderson, Abreu, Mikata, and Jimenez bring? And then after them, it's okay, their rally's done and go on to something else. Yeah, you mentioned Leary, and that was 
I guess part of my concern with him just you know being handed the center field job, not having a challenger like Luis Robert come in and and help relieve him slash usurp him of his duties in center and and take the everyday stress off him. He's up to 129 games, 571 plate appearances, and I think he has a, a I would call it like a high effort. Uh, style of offense you know just it, it all comes down to his ability to put the bat in the ball when he's swinging because he's going to be swinging he's not going to be walking he's not going to have ways to supplement his line when he's not getting good luck or if he's in a funk if he faces a tough uh, slew of pitchers from his weaker side um, you know some guys can draw walks and, and weather those storms a little bit he can't weather those storms so uh that's not ideal for a an everyday player even if he plays you know decent defense in center field and I think we're seeing the limits to Laori and that, when I would say back in the off season, I wrote a post about whether they should, they should have tendered him a contract, but whether they should look to trade him or look to move him or not get caught over relying on him to solve problems because I think his offensive ceiling is rather limited. And I think we've seen, I would say maybe through August or like mid August, the best that Laori can do. And now the rest I think is just overexposure fatigue banged up etc and uh i guess the good news is that if he has a weak finish and if he just completely you know crumbles down the stretch it'll at least underscore that the white Sox shouldn't do this again the way the white Sox shouldn't hand yolmer sanchez a full-time starting job again because he's just not good enough to hack it as an everyday second baseman he's a good bench player later he's a good bench player but to hand them full-time jobs over the course of two consecutive seasons and just seeing them hit the same end in Larry's case, he either gets injured or he's just not quite good enough to hold up a starting job for 162 games. Um, you know, they both end up in the same place and the White Sox need to address those. Hey, Yomer Sanchez can win a gold glove though, Jim. Yeah, that makes me a bit nervous. <laughs> I mean, hey. he, he would deserve it. I mean, he's playing really well. He's atop all the metrics and uh, Sabres defensive index, which is used for gold glove voting. He ranks top among second baseman there so if he gets it he deserves it and uh you know there's a job for him somewhere um but I, I think when you're looking to get serious about winning and lining up depth and you know maybe they'll bring him back because nick Madrigal's there and they feel okay about him backing up the infield spots but he just makes me nervous as somebody that they just keep settling for because as we've seen in various spots like you know yomer and leary and adam angle and dylan covey like the white Sox just have a habit of settling for the same guys and you almost need to take their toys away and force them to look at somebody else yeah i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because after the loss on thursday uh, the stories out of the White Sox clubhouse, they wanted to get the message out to let people know that they are confident next year and teams should watch out for the Chicago White Sox in 2020. As we have discussed the early part of the show, I don't think teams really need to be that aware of the White Sox if they're going to be rolling into 2020 with the same roster just because of the holes. I mean, the White Sox have very good players and they are a dangerous squad when Lucas Giolito is on the mound and depending on the day of the week, uh, as far as what wave of consistency that Dylan Cease and Renato Lopez are on. Uh, but with a lot of the roster holes, I, I understand the clubhouse they're confident and they believe they're going to snap the losing next season as is. But the future success of the Chicago White Sox comes down to Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, and Jerry Reinsdorf, guys that are not on the field. And how much faith they have with the current roster and if they are willing to step up and spend the money this offseason or if they will be happy having the league's lowest payroll 
in 2020. And it's just been an odd week because, again, Dabrowski gets fired a year after the winning the World Series. Theo Epstein Thursday morning went on 670 to score and admitted that he's extremely frustrated with this season. And rumor has it that Joe Madden is not going to be returning at any cost uh, despite winning a World Series title. And his winning percentage as manager of the Cubs is 585. And yet here we are, Jim, talking about the White Sox having seven straight losing seasons and Rick Khan gets to keep his job. <laughs> it just yeah. this franchise does not operate like the present day contenders like the Red Sox and Cubs. Yeah, no, that's been my concern all along. And I guess my gripe about rebuilding and giving all this credit is that when you look at all the rebuilding teams that are, have done it well, like the Astros and Cubs, or are doing it well, like the Twins and Braves, um, they're they had different front offices and, and some were by different, um, you know, different measures. Like some had different ownership. Some just got tired of, you know, realized like with the twins case that Terry Ryan just did not have the ability to get the job done in 2019. And in the Braves case, he had some massive scandal that forced them to get a new GM. But in any cases you had, um, these new guys come in with new, um, new methods, um, new managers, new everything. Um, and, it worked, you know, they, that's how they've uh, been a big reason why they've worked is because they you know, just had new ideas and had a complete ability to just wipe away what the previous administration did and do it their way. Get a, a two to three to four years to uh, lose, I guess, and, and I guess clear out the detritus and get better, you know, I guess uh, just set up everything the way they want to do it and prove that they can do it their way. But ultimately, it's worked in those cases. The Phillies, I think, are lagging behind. That's the one case where they had a new GM and just hasn't been quite able to get it done. But they're on the track. And But they've all had new front offices. And so to see just the inevitability of Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria is just really hard to defend. And the, you know, settling for losing seasons or defending it and just having... You know, Kenny Williams there as a smokescreen kind of or somebody that the fans can blame for the first three or four losing seasons as if they weren't Hans' fault. I would say that uh, Kenny was probably the most detached in 2013 because uh, he said he had health issues, that he, he had to step away from day-to-day duties because it was had adverse effects on his health. So that was when Hans stepped in. And I would say that uh, you know 2013 was very much Hans if you want to try to really parse it. But either way, you know whether it's Hans or Williams, the same decision-making engine, they're both there. They're both in the same ranks. Jerry Reinsdorf still uh, is the boss of both of them. They're not going anywhere. So it's just, it's uh, inevitable. And the White Sox really have to fight the inevitability and uh, the, the lack of inertia at all points in the organization in order to actually prove that, you know, they can overcome it. And like Chris Getz, uh, when he was talking about the year on the farm, because Andrew Vaughn was in uh, before the game to get his formal introduction, he called it a very solid year on the farm, and it wasn't. It was a bad year. It wasn't a disaster. It wasn't like a complete disaster. There were some positive angles, but just the way the second tier of depth has been eliminated and basically reduced to Jonathan Stever and Steele Walker, it was a bad year for the farm. And uh, for him to call it a solid year... And solid was his word, and solid is a word I never use as a standalone adjective because it can mean uh, acceptable to great, depending on how people use it. And I just think it's a meaningless word. Uh, it's never, it might be never more meaningless when you call this kind of year solid because uh, 
it really exposed the holes that the White Sox have to contend with or have to cross their fingers that get patched up with coming back from injuries or rehabbing torn ligaments or um, just having development come out of nowhere, which they haven't proven you know, really in any field that they're able to do on any kind of reliable basis. Yeah, on the about the farm, I mean, even MOB Pipeline has the Chicago White Sox with the ninth-ranked farm system in Major League Baseball now. And that's and that's with uh, Luis Robert propping them up. Right. And it Jim They're, Callis, yeah. you know, wrote the reason why the White Sox were ninth, and it's because they have a very top-heavy farm system, and he thinks that Andrew Vaughn could be a top-five prospect next year for the Chicago White Sox. But it is a drop-off. It, it is a drop-off after Robert, Kopech, Magical, and Vaughn. And if three of those graduate... I mean, the White Sox are suddenly looking at having one player in the top 100. And that's kind of on Chris Getz to try to continue with the player development. And even if they're guys that are in the 80 to 100 range, at least that you have some depth, whether attractive depth to move in trades to help bolster the roster in Chicago or just have, you know, any type of depth because we all know that Yohan Mikata will end up on the injured list sometime in 2020 and maybe Tim Anderson misses another month. And it'd be nice if the White Sox had that type of depth and that's maybe where the concern is. Maybe that's why Chris gets said solid, Jim, because I don't think he's going to come out and say, no, we had a bad year on the farm. I, I don't think the farm director is going to say that to the media. Uh, at least he didn't say we had a great year on the farm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe he chose that mushy word on purpose. Yeah. And, you know, they they are kids, you know, and, and either kids or they're adults, but underpaid ones or ones that are, you know, sharing apartments and eating bad food and such. So yeah, you don't want to come on, come down on them too heavily for, you know, having disappointing years, but yeah, just, uh, you know, if you can't take his word for granted and you just, you know, you have to push through the messaging to say like, you know, to hope that they acknowledge the problem, hope that it's just not, uh, they don't shrug it off as bad luck. There does something, there does seem to be something to be seriously wrong, or at least, off underneath their prospect acquisitions and drafting and development. And hopefully they're in the process of ironing it out. I know that they're trying some you know, different development tactics in the lower levels and maybe those will pan out, but uh, you just have to look past that and hope that even though, if, even if Getz has to say uh, that it was a solid year and, and use, I guess, the softest possible positive adjective to describe it, you hope that they realize underneath that, you know, having another year like this, you, you would think solid, you know, I guess when it comes to the word solid, I would say if you had a solid year, if you kept having solid years, you'd be on a good track. You know, you, you wouldn't have any setbacks. You'd have enough talent. You know, if they have another year like this again, I don't know. You know, they're going to seriously have to spend because they won't have anybody to trade. They won't have anybody to reinforce uh, the 25-man the roster, especially in the second half, you know, if injuries accumulate. And they can't afford another quote-unquote solid year. So, you know, maybe they have to describe it like that because of the people involved, but you hope underneath that they realize that this was really not good for, you know, solving problems internally. Yeah. And now you have a new guy that's going to be heading the draft. So are the White Sox going to continue to (laughs) new? Well, I guess it's not new. I mean, Mike Shirley's been with the organization forever or it seems like forever. So maybe there won't be any new direction with the draft and the White Sox will, will continue their March with, 
selecting college players in the first round and spending the most money in the first round on college players. I mean, the good news is is that this is going to be a very deep draft, uh, especially when it comes to college starting pitching. So maybe the White Sox will get a boost uh, come in July because right now they're looking at having the eighth pick in the Major League Baseball draft next season, and maybe that could change depending on how this upcoming series in Seattle goes. Before we preview that series, one item I wanted to touch on from the White Sox and Royals series, and this comes from the Kansas City perspective. And Jorge Soler is having a dramatic transformation, and I don't know if anyone within the Cubs organization ever thought he would turn into this type of player, but this series, Jim, he unleashed his power multiple times against the White Sox. And Jorge Soler has 44 home runs. It's a long shot, but he could hit 50 home runs this year. And I never thought with all of the hype that came with Jorge Soler when he was called up from the Chicago Cubs that he would ever be this type of hitter. Yeah, it's, I think when he was at the Cubs, 30 was a possibility. And maybe, you know, when they're saying 30 homers, they didn't realize what the environment would become and how the balls would perform. And so maybe if they had the kind of knowledge, they might upgrade that to 40. Um, but yeah, some of the homers he was hitting and has been hitting just are not products of the baseball. They're products of a very strong man doing damage. So that was really a good trade. I mean, it wasn't a good trade for the Royals in terms of, uh, trying to extend their window of contention. I know they they tried to offload Wade Davis to pick him up and, and see if they could uh, get instant offense to supplement their lineup and hope that they could refill the bullpen from within. And it all kind of crumbled on them and they had to rebuild. But uh, the idea behind it and the, the talent evaluation certainly looks like it was there. Just uh, the timing, thanks to injuries, didn't quite line up for them uh, for plan A. But plan B looks pretty good. I mean, they could trade him this offseason. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of power available. So if they wanted to make a big trade to get more prospects to help boost the rebuild, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Jorge Soler's only 27 years old. I think he's still got plenty of control left. Uh, if any team is interested, shoot. If the White Sox could pull off a trade with Kansas City and have Soler play in right field, uh, that's the type of bat that they need. Because uh, as uh, I'll write on Sunday after how the rest of this uh, week goes, but the White Sox also have a home run problem. They've got a power problem that they need to address and to come full circle. That's why they should be targeting players like Yasmani Grandel and JD Martinez this offseason because they they really need those types of bats in their lineup. And then we'll talk about the White Sox seriously being a not just a contender but be able to snap these consecutive losing streaks because again it is now at seven after today's loss and unless you are the older than the age of 69 this is the worst stretch of baseball the chicago white Sox have played from a win-loss record perspective uh in our lifetimes so there you go something to carry on with you for the rest of the weekend (laughs) and speaking for the rest of the weekend the chicago white Sox fly out uh, be interesting to see if they even get out of Chicago with some storms coming along the way. Uh, so it will impact as far as their travel logistics, but they'll be heading to Seattle to start a nine game road trip. 
Before we preview that series, though, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to buy tickets. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand up from the crowd as they built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. And I love using SeatGeek to buy tickets. Doesn't matter if it's tickets for the White Sox or going into any upcoming shows or even looking at getting tickets for the Chicago Bears this upcoming season or even the Chicago Blackhawks. Great customer satisfaction. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews in their app store. And I like using SeatGeek because they display all the deals that interact with seat map so I can kind of look to see what the views are from the seats. The green dots mean they're good deals. The red dots, those tickets are overpriced, so I always stay away from them. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And the best part is that SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase, whether you want to use it for upcoming White Sox games when they return home for the final seven games of the season, or like I said, if you want to use it for Chicago Bears tickets or Blackhawks tickets or Bulls tickets. Download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and use promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase. Again, that's promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. And yes, the Chicago White Sox play the Seattle Mariners. The last time these two teams played, it was the home opener for the Chicago White Sox all the way back in April. So it's been a minute since these two uh, two teams have played and uh, much different circumstances for Seattle. They are currently 60 and 86 on the year and their last 10 games, they have only won three. As they won the C- uh, series in Chicago, two games to three, a lot of offense for the Seattle Mariners in that series as that series helped them launch to start the season 13 and two. So like I said, uh, much different circumstances as they are 47 and 84 since that hot start to start 2019. Your pitching problems for this series Friday night is a 9, 10 p.m. Central time start. It is Dylan Covey. I know for the White Sox against UC Kikuchi on Saturday at 8.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Dylan Cease against Felix Hernandez. And on Sunday at 3.10, it's Yvonne Nova against Justice Sheffield, the youngster that used to be a prominent Yankees prospect, now pitching for Seattle. And Jim, I put out this Twitter poll uh, asking folks about this upcoming road trip because after these three games in Seattle, the White Sox will head to Minnesota for three games, then they have an off day, and then they head to Detroit. So it's nine-game road trip. And putting the Twitter poll out there to play over-under, the over-under line is four and a half. The amount of games the White Sox will win on the road against Seattle, Minnesota, and Detroit. Would you go over four and a half games or are you going under? Under treated me well last time, so I will stick with under. Yeah, I think under is pretty safe. Even though Seattle and Detroit are not very good, if the White Sox don't sweep those series, I don't think they're going to fare well in Minnesota, especially when the Twins really need that series to make sure they stay ahead of Cleveland. Uh, yeah, and even this series as well, Like, I, I hope Dylan Cease... Uh, continues as far as being a little bit more consistent. But Dylan Covey was terrible in his last start. Uh, Yvonne Nova's magic is starting to wear off in the month of September. This could be a tough series for the White Sox to win, at least on the pitching front, unless the offense comes through. 
And Detroit, we think they should steamroll Detroit, but I thought they should have steamrolled the Royals, mm-hmm. uh, and that didn't come to fruition. Uh, so I'm also going to take the under. I think the White Sox will go 4-5 and five this upcoming road trip uh, before they head home to face the Cleveland Indians and then finish the year against the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, the Twins are limping a bit, though. They've got a lot of injuries. Buxton's out for the year. They're banged up elsewhere. They lost Pineda. Uh, Gibson's been out, so they, you know, they might have a struggle this last uh, two weeks. I know it's a four-game gap right now, and and even then it was six games a couple days ago. This could be a, a grind for them, kind of like it reminds me of the White Sox in, in 2008 after they lost Carlos Quentin, and they got swept in Minnesota to lose, you know, that lead evaporated in a hurry uh, at the very end, and they needed 163 games to actually close out the division when it looked like a walk maybe a week or two out from then, so... Um, I wouldn't count the White Sox out against the the Twins necessarily. I just think that, you know, when you look at these pitching matchups, they should be able to walk over the Mariners. But when you look at the pitching matchups, they don't really have it. And outside of Giolito starting, and Lopez has been like every other start, so I guess you can count on him be looking good uh, his next time out, and maybe not after that, not so much. But uh, yeah, the other three starters, Covey, Cease, Nova, they all look like they're more or less. Uh, crossing days off the calendar and just trying to get into the off season and see what you know fate has for them. So it's tough to project the White Sox looking good in any one series, especially one that Giolito isn't pitching in. Well, our fans, listeners, Jim, disagree with us. The majority are actually picking the over for the White Sox. 56% are picking the over that the White Sox will have a winning nine-game road trip their last road trip in 2019. I hope they are right. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Because, I mean, Detroit's record, what, they're 43 and 102. Are they going to win 50 games? I don't think so. Yeah. Unless the White Sox have something to say about that and want to give them a few. (laughs) But, no, just like, and the Mariners have been bad, like you mentioned, 47-84 since their hot start. So we could, you know, be right now watching the White Sox in a funk and saying like, you know, they can't beat anybody. Then, you know, perhaps the Mariners or Tigers will show us what they've been doing the last several months and uh, let us know like, oh yeah, it does get worse. And and I, that's something I do try to keep in mind is that the White Sox problems are not unique. Uh, it's kind of one of my mantras. And I think those two teams probably prove it. But when you see Covey going out there and when you see the way Cease sometimes uh, starts poorly and never quite figures it out and puts the team in a big hole, uh, there are a lot of early deficits to come back from. And then you see Bummer and Colome kind of wheezing to the finish. And uh, yeah, it just never quite feels like a good packet of pitching at any one point. Um, could be, uh, I'm hoping that the White Sox do prove superior over some of these opponents <laughs> at the end or else it's going to make this uh, Rick Renteria and, and, and Rick Hahn and Chris Getz rhetoric a little bit harder to support. One last thing about the Seattle series, Saturday's pitching matchup. Do you think this would be the last time that Felix Hernandez faces the White Sox in his career, Jim? Because I know the shoulder's been acting up. I believe he's a free agent after this year. The future seems murky for Hernandez, sticking with the Seattle Mariners and even his long-term future. He's been he's been pitching for so long in Seattle uh, that I, I just wonder if this is the end of the road for Felix Hernandez. And if it is, it's been a great career for him. And, and I do wonder if Saturday would be the last time that he faces the White Sox. Seems like it could be. I mean, he's been fighting it for a few years now. Uh, last year, he had a 5.55 ERA and was 8-14. and 14, And this year, he's got a 6.96 ERA. So uh, 14 homers and 54 innings. Like, the homers have really piled up on him the last two years. And 
you know, when you look at a guy like him and the success he's had in one market and very, you know, very comfortable, successful major league career, it kind of reminds me of John Danks a little bit. And that Danks, you know, he he fought through the shoulder problem and he he was serviceable uh, to a you know to a fair extent. Even after the injury, he was still a major league starter. He was not a major league problem solver, uh, but he was somebody who could throw 170 innings, which is not a given for even you know below average pitchers. So. Uh, you know, he, he fizzled out with the Sox and then he took, a, I think with the Braves, took a minor league invite and then just realized it wasn't worth the fight. You know, <laughs> he already made enough money for his career. His stuff wasn't coming back and he didn't feel like riding the buses and hoping for one more shot. He'd done enough and figured it was time to move on. And I can see Hernandez doing the same thing, especially if it's a shoulder issue, if it's an elbow, you, you could see him either, you know, getting surgery or, um, you know, maybe hoping Russ will take care of it and then coming back in a year or, half a year if he feels up to it but when I think when it comes to these guys and uh, just how much they've worked and how many 200 inning, uh, inning seasons Hernandez has launched uh, logged and you know Jake Peavy had a similar thing his career I think ended with a divorce and he never quite mounted to come back I think it's just hard when you're lacking stuff and you've had it so much better and uh, you have no guarantees going forward that's I imagine it's difficult to summon uh, the will to overcome such a, a staggering physical obstacle like a shoulder injury and sapped velocity. Well, we'll see how this series goes. We will be recapping the White Sox and Mariners series for Monday's Sox Machine podcast and also look ahead to the Minnesota Twins series as that will be a key series for the Twins as they look to continue to pad their lead in the American League Central over the Cleveland Indians. And we'll also touch on where we are for the postseason races in Major League Baseball. Man, on Monday... We were excited about the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they just got swept in Queens, losing four straight to the Mets. And here come the Mets, and the Brewers are tied with the Cubs, and it's one game difference between the Rays and A's and Indians. They're all clumped together. It's very exciting stuff going on elsewhere in Major League Baseball, and we'll be discussing that for Monday's Sox Machine podcast. But that will do it for this Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. Every live stream is recorded and uploaded into the podcast feed the very next day, which you can listen to and subscribe to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.